Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Andrew Bender. And before we get to Andrew, here's a few announcements. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and you can see pictures of our guests. You can see stories that they've written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to their social media. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. There are links to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. I got to stop saying iTunes. It's called Apple Podcasts now. I think they're getting rid of uh, iTunes. I don't know. They're going to change it just enough so we have to upgrade everything or buy new equipment, and that's how they get us. That's how they get us. Uh, anyway, there's links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, and we're on uh, Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you can subscribe, I would appreciate it. It's for free, always. And all I ask is that you give us a good rating on those platforms, and uh, that boosts our presence, helps more people find us, and that's a cool thing to do. So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. If you want to write me, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail. Com. Okay, I'm recording this intro while I'm floating at sea in my cabin on the HMS Volendam. I don't think it's HMS. The SS? The HS? I don't, I don't know. The Volendam on Holland America Lines. Fighting a cold, so I'm staying in my room a lot. As we all know, sickness can travel fast on a cruise ship, so I want to stay away from all the filthy people. Just get out of here in one piece. Going to be at sea for four weeks on the Caribbean, performing on the ships. Telling my jokes, spending the holidays out here where apparently I'm needed the most. After my last ship, I'm going to fly directly to Medellin, Colombia. I'm very excited about that. Been wanting to go to Colombia for a long time. Still haven't been. And I have a friend in Medellin, or Medellin as the locals like to call it. And I'm going to spend a week there at the end of January. And I'm very excited about that. So I'll have a lot more to talk about when I get back, but this interview you're going to be hearing today was recorded before I left, actually the day before I left, with Andrew Bender. And Andrew Bender is a very accomplished travel writer. He's written for major publications. He's lived overseas, most notably Japan, and is quite the Japan travel expert, actually leads tours in Japan. And we'll have links on TravelTalesPodcast.com to his sites and to his tours. So if you're thinking about maybe touring Japan, uh, Andrew would be a great guy to go with. Guy knows the place inside and out. So we talk about Japan a lot. We talk about uh, some other places he's uh, visited, how he came to be a travel writer, and more. So please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Bender. So Andrew Bender... Japanese expert and travel, uh, would you call yourself a blogger, a writer, a tour guide? What, what would you, what would you call it? All, all of it, of okay. the above, yes. Uh-huh. 
What made you get into this line of work, and why did you choose Japan as your specialty? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it was the mid-80s, and Japan was on Booming. fire. It, Booming. It, yeah, it was amazing. It was the bubble economy, and you know, Japan was the second largest economy in the world. Uh, and I could say that I wanted to get in on that, but that's not why I went. I really wanted to go work in France. France was closed. You couldn't get a job in the mid-80s in France. I had studied it's hard French to get one now. I know, right? <laughs> so I had studied French my whole life. I was an honor student in French, and I had a fantastic homestay experience when I was there, and I really wanted to go back, but no. Uh, meanwhile, in Japan, if you could speak English, you could get a decent job. And, teaching English? Uh, I did start teaching English, okay. as people do. And then I ended up working in the financial industry for like two years after that. Uh, and uh, that turned out to be a great thing. Lucrative? <laughs> uh, well, lucrative, more, more less lucrative than just a great experience. And, uh, you know, it really taught me a lot of insights into the culture that I didn't expect. I didn't know a thing about Japanese culture. I didn't know really how to use chopsticks. <laughs> I learned that. Um, I had to learn the language. Um, and you just kind of learn from, in my case, I was surrounded by Japanese people 24-7. I worked in an office that was almost all Japanese. I worked, um, and then we, I commuted uh, from a company dorm, which is a very Japanese experience. A company uh, dorm? Yeah, I had a six-mat tatami room, <laughs> and I put my futon out on the floor every night to go to sleep. I rolled it back up in the morning, and then oh. I uh, put that in the closet, and uh, then I had a little t a little table that I put out every morning. That was my work table, and I had a boombox, because it was the 80s, sure. and that was all you needed. Then you got a Walkman. I did, <laughs> I did, and I was the coolest kid. It was a bright yellow Walkman. Yeah. Did yes. uh, did you have to have roommates or no. like coworkers or something? Uh, well, down the hall were all the coworkers, all the roommates. I had twenty something guys living in the dorm, and there was a um, uh, you know there was a communal bath, there was a, a communal dining room, and it was cheap because you know the company subsidized it. They gave us our transit passes to get to work. Wow, all kinds of things. But the best part about it was we were really a community. You know, and I'm still in touch with some of those guys um, all these years later. Do they still do that for their workers, or is those that was an '80s thing? Oh no, many companies do that. Absolutely, it, it's mostly for single, unmarried, you know, younger people. Right. And then as they start to earn more, or they have a family, then they move out on their own. I guess the most intimidating thing always about Jap Japanese culture and visiting, and I would say living there, is the is the language. That is a tough thing. I mean. It's not like France when, yeah. or Italy. You go with Ristorante. I know what that sign says. Right. I know what right. that is. Right. But, uh, you know, those shapes, uh, those little uh, drawings and the, the, the writing, it, just, it could, could be a bank, could be a spa. I have right. no idea. <laughs> Sometimes it's both. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How long did it take you? Did, did, like, the, the, did they provide lessons and a teacher and stuff? Not really. You know, it was one of those things where I guess I'm pretty good with languages, I discovered. Good for you. Uh, and um, I can, uh, I, I got there, and like I said, I think really the only way to learn a language thoroughly is immersion. And whether I'm good at languages or whether I just sort of picked it up because I was surrounded by Japanese people all the time, uh, it worked out somehow. And one of the things that, you know, you're talking about the writing system, you know, for me, it, it, I kind of made a game out of it. And I would look <laughs> at the street signs, I was like, well, here's the sign for this neighborhood, and, and this means, uh, this translates to new uh, in or, or new like um, hotel or something mm -hmm. that's the same character that you use and I was like okay well I've seen new someplace else and I've seen in someplace else 
and okay, so now I know what those two words mean, and now I have I can like branch out from there, and you know things work out. Uh, and uh, you know I had, but it was interesting. As long as I lived there, you know, for the first three years or so, I never had to use the word for arm. And so it's like I never learned the word. I knew what my fingers were and my hand was, but uh, or shoulder. But I never, I never learned arm. So it's just like weird stuff like that that you just sort of never get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I said, were you right in Tokyo? I was. Okay. So yeah, I've only been to Tokyo and Kyoto. And uh-huh. This is like twelve years ago, but um, I want to go back. And this is I'm debating whether or not to go back in March, April, to try to go skiing. Oh, fantastic! Because I have friends who lived in Hong Kong and they went skiing there. And they're from Colorado, and they know uh-huh. good skiing, and they uh-huh. loved it. Yes, skiing in Japan is pretty awesome, especially up on Hokkaido, mm-hmm. which is a northern island. Is that um, Niseko? Niseko is one of the really big ones. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And Sapporo is way up there. Sapporo is the big city there. They have the snow festival, if I think, which is in February, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, so uh, it's worth going there, too. Uh, for sure, uh, but it is like going to Canada. Actually, it's like um, it's very remote. Things are very spread out, and compared to the rest of Japan, I mean, if you've been to Tokyo, you know there's people just living literally on top of one another, uh, and um, you know it's 12 million people in the city, 30 something million in the metro it's area. It's I mean, there huge. are many people, as many people in Cali- as, as in Tokyo, as almost as many as in California. That's crazy. Yeah. And the whole of Japan is the size of California, so that gives you some sense of yeah. how crowded things are. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I always describe it to people, it's like, imagine the footprint of L.A., um, whereas we have, I don't know, what is in our metro area here? About 4,000 four, square miles, yeah. But like in people, what do we have, 8 million Oh, like people? 10 million people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in that big footprint. In the footprint, county alone, yeah. Um, yeah. Everything's, most things are pretty much one couple levels, one mm-hmm. level, two level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's low. No, I said, now imagine Tokyo. Everything's at least five stories in yes. that same footprint. Yes, and that's, yes, that's yes. what it is. Yeah, the way I always try to describe LA for out-of-towners is if you took New York, turned all the tall buildings on their side, you'd kind of have LA. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how many years did you stay there? I lived there for about three years. And uh, then after that, I uh, went back to business school. And I got my uh, MBA uh, from Wharton. And I did a... a Another program at the same time at what's called the Lauder Institute, where you get a master's in some international study. And, of course, I chose East Asia. And uh, so I may be the only sort of travel writer who has a Wharton MBA. I don't know. If there are others, they haven't identified themselves. Well, I know you didn't go to Wharton to be a travel writer. So what was the plan? I mean, you were going to go farther into the business world? Yeah. And I moved out here um, in 1990 to L.A., where... Uh, I got a job working in the entertainment industry for Japanese ah, companies, as go. it turns out. When they were buying up, like Sony bought... Correct. All the yeah. Columbia pictures they bought? Sony bought Columbia yeah. pictures and TriStar, and and the Japanese were buying Rockefeller Center they bought everything. and Pebble Beach they bought everything. and everything. And it was like Japan panic almost. But it, again, it was a really good time to be in that business. And I worked for Japanese production companies uh, for about another seven years um, until uh, the last one that I worked for sort of imploded and I was like, wait a second, this wasn't the plan, you know? And um, I had uh, been sort of a good, dutiful employee and was owed a lot of money because I was like, well, you know what? I'll just defer until we get on our, you know, or we'll get things on track here. Um, and uh, I was left sort of holding the ball for mm. all of that. And I was like, I'm never going to put my career in anybody else's hands again. And then, right about that time, the, the producer that we were working with, she came over to me and she said, you know what, no reflection on your work here, 
when you get but here's a reflection. Well, but, but when you talk about right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Americans always do yeah. that, right? Look, no offense, but here yeah. I'm going to give offense. Yeah. So American. So what happens is then um, she said to me, "Look, no reflection on your work here, but uh, when you talk about traveling and when you talk about going out to eat, you get really excited in a way that you're not excited about anything else. Have you noticed that about yourself?" And I was like, "No," and you're offending me by saying that. But she was absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it wasn't long after that that uh, I started selling tiny articles to, you know, publications like Condé Nast Traveler. And I took this travel writing course. I'm like, I better take a travel writing course to see if I'm doing it right. And when I mentioned in the class that I had sold an article to uh, that magazine, the, the, the instructor's eyes fell out of her head and rolled across the floor. She's like, you did what? And I was like, it's 150 words. But she was like, no, 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 it's Condé Nast Travel. You don't understand what you've done here. Uh, and so I guess things were going okay. Then it wasn't long after that that there was a uh, announcement in one of the local sections of the LA Times, which they don't have anymore, sadly, uh, where they said, we're looking for a restaurant reviewer. And if you'd like to be that person, send us a sample. We will publish the five samples we like the best, and we'll have the readership vote. Wow. And I did, and I got it. And I was like, what do I do now? So you took the job. I took the did job. You, was I, it a Japanese restaurant you reviewed? It was a Chinese dim sum place. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, and uh, and I, it was a great opportunity just to go around and explore my own city and really get to know it in a, you know, I didn't have much of a budget, but it was enough that, you know, some friends and I could go and have like a snack basically. Yeah. Years. No. And then we'd pay more on top of that. It's a good course, friend to have. Right. I always wanted to be like, be friends with a restaurant reviewer and just like, anytime you need anybody to try out a lot of appetizers. And, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah. How long? So you did this for your LA times for a while? Yes. I was, that was another three years or so. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now the internet, it's here at this time or mm. it's not happening yet? It's it's there, but it's still nothing like what we right. have now, you know. And the newspaper was still almost exclusively in print, yeah, and all of that, yeah. That's um, a choice gig. I mean, yeah. now, now it's not like everybody fancies themselves as a restaurant critic and the, right. I'm a Yelp expert, right? Well, <laughs> just like that's well, not the same thing. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. All this user generated content, as they call it, right? And and some people are awesome, and some people really are, they have an axe to grind over something. You know, like I always eliminate I, when I'm reading a restaurant review, which I do, you know, um, I go on Yelp or Google or whatever. And the, 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 the ones that always have like one star, always like we had 16 people for Mother's Day yeah. and my grandmother was was we you just know, showed up. We didn't have a reservation and they were so rude to us. Right. Right. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't. Yeah. yeah. I stopped looking at like TripAdvisor and Yelp. I don't really uh, even like hotel reviews and hotels.com or something if if there's a a common theme i'll go through them and go look if if everybody if 90 percent of the people say it's noisy that's right. probably noisy right right but once right. they start saying it's like well their breakfast is not i don't care about the breakfast i don't right does the wi-fi work is it clean right and just i'll go get my own breakfast right. somewhere i don't right. need right. it right but especially <laughs> americans bitch about the breakfast a lot i don't know because i couldn't get my waffles that i like and like okay yeah you're in you know columbia it's not gonna happen um so did was print or just being in la was that stifling after a while for you for a guy who's 
international? Did you like, oh man, I got to get out of town. Oh no, no. This is a city that I always think is kind of like, I don't know, like a blank sheet of paper that's waiting for you to write on it. <laughs> and, and it's the kind of city that you can make out of it whatever you want. And also it's so broad and so diverse yeah. that you have so many choices here. I mean, 10 million people in the county, 22 million in Southern California, the possibilities are kind of endless. And if you're a fan of, for example, ethnic foods oh, yeah. uh, or, you know, different, uh, you know, kinds of cultural activities, I don't know if there's any place better. No, um, certainly Asian food, absolutely. anything, anything from the Asian or of course, Mexican. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but uh, mm -hmm. I would say we have the, we have, we're spoiled with choices for, for that stuff. Anything, anything from Asia and, and uh, Latin America, really. Yeah. And we're, we're like the largest population of so many nationalities outside of their home countries. Yeah. Koreans. Koreans, Thais, Salvadorans. I think we're actually the largest Salvadoran city in the world. Oh, really? I mean, bigger than anything in El Salvador. Wow. Yeah. Filipinos, um, uh, fi probably. Huge Filipino population. Armenians? Armenians, Persians. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, you know, uh, lots and lots of Israelis here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, anywhere from Latin America, you have to expect, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. The only thing I always tell people the hardest thing because I'm from Chicago and had, and lived in New York. Ah, pizza takes a little. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. there is no little Italy. No, there's in, no um, little Italy. Yeah, I do have a couple favorite pizza places. Okay, around town. I'll get lists yeah. of those. Yeah, I mean, you know what, Sam? Because if people come here, they can. Yeah. Well, I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, which is Pizza Town, USA. Oh, what's that one place they always say is the best? Well, they always talk about Peppy's, but there are two right. other places that I like even better. The okay. one that we always grew up going to is called Sally's, and it's right down the block from Peppy's, so it's easy to get to. The other one's maybe a mile away. It's called Modern Pizza, and, and it's fantastic. Why New Haven? It was just a huge Italian huge, population. Huge Italian population. Yep. yep. What brought them there? What was the industry that brought them there? I'm assuming it was the railroads and building, okay. you know, uh, having to extend out from New York. But basically, in, you know, my town anyway, there is a huge preponderance of Luciani's, Parati's, and DeVito's. And, <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, so it was a really interesting mix. You know, you mm -hmm. had um, a huge Italian population. You had a pretty large Jewish population. And then really? sort of everybody else. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Not what you think of. Yeah, my mom's from Connecticut. Oh, She's really? from uh, Simsbury. You know what oh, that is? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Up by Hartford. Up north, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Up north. It's up far, north. It's as far... Is it two hours? No, it's like Hour 45 minutes. It's, it's as far <laughs> from uh, from New Haven as like... It's like going to Orange it, it, County. It's like going to Orange County, yeah. Or <laughs> right. Pasadena even. I mean, not that far. Yeah. yeah. So how long did the paper last and when did you go full-time on the travel? Right? Ah, so that lasted about uh, three years. Uh, then sadly, the that section went away. Uh, the food I, section? The, not the food section. It was the it was called the West Side Weekly section. Oh, okay. Uh, and they got rid of all these regional little sections, which was kind of dumb, if you ask me, because apparently they were the one part of the paper that was consistently making a lot of money. Oh. You know, because they could micro-target ads and things to these, That's uh, a good to point. these communities. And so, um, you know, sadly that went away. But it was right around then that I started getting um, jobs from Lonely Planet also. And I started, my first job um, was one of these things where they used to do this more often than they do now, I gather, where they do what's called helicoptering you. And they take you to a place that you really don't know all that well. Um, and they just sort of say, you know, go find stuff. And so my first job was the former East Germany. Wow. And yeah. Um, and it was really quite an adventure. It was fantastic. Because it, it took 
they, uh, they were much more poor than West Germany. Yes. When the unification started. Absolutely. So, and Absolutely. I think still are, not much, but I mean, still are considered kind of like, it, you know, it, the it rednecks. Still lags a little <laughs> the bit. rednecks of Germany. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that <laughs> far, but, it, but yeah. I'm trying, I couldn't describe, but you know what I mean? Just, there's still a bias, I think, in the West, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, that we're carrying them. I think there is still that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't been back to Germany in quite some time now, but um, I remember going over there, I had, you know, sort of a, going away gathering with some friends and one of my buddies looks at me and he says take blue jeans and cigarettes to trade with the local people because that's what they do <laughs> Still, under communism even post, right? post-communist no, no, this was this was you know 10 yeah. years after the wall fell probably but um anyway uh and so that turned out to be quite a great gig and um i got to really sort of appreciate things i'd never heard of before and you know i'd heard of weimar germany but i I didn't know there was an actual weimar and it was lovely um and you know dresden you know fantastic i went to dresden beautiful yeah it's nice and then berlin oh my goodness you know what a city yeah berlin and uh so i was like okay i think i can continue doing this and uh So I, I happened to be in Berlin actually on 9-11 for wow. when I was there for a different Lonely Planet assignment. And um, uh, the the people were just so open-hearted to us. And I remember, um, I remember uh, of course, JFK uh, came to uh, Berlin and you know, said, sure. Ich bin ein Berliner, right. which actually means I'm a jelly donut, but l- l- leave, that to, <laughs> leave that aside. Or he thought it meant what? I'm, we I'm, are one I'm, Berlin? I'm, he says, it, it, it mean, it's supposed to mean I'm a Berliner. Right. You know, I'm from Berlin, but actually, uh, when there's a difference, not to get too into the woods here, but apparently there's a difference between ein Berliner, which is like a donut, and ich bin Berliner, which means I'm a Berliner. Okay. I'm from Berlin. Anyway, um, so... Uh, he uh, uh, and so they had these uh, the newspaper after nine eleven uh, they ran uh, on the front page these little uh, yellow rectangles that you could cut out and it said uh, we are all Americans oh. and so you had I don't know how many thousands of people there were half a million people around the Brandenburg Gate on September t- I guess fourteenth or so with in a rally in support of the U S and. And uh, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I just felt so overwhelmed by the affection for our country back then. Is it normal for uh, Lonely Planet to, to just drop somebody into... Not anymore. Yeah. Really... What was their thinking behind it? Like, well, you're approaching it the same way a tourist would? or uh, I, I, I suppose that was the theory at the time, but now they're really looking for people who are local experts. Yeah, that's what I mean. That, yeah. That's why that surprises me. Yeah. You think and they would send you to Japan. That was my, my first... Right, right. They, it took a few years before they did, but I've worked on, I guess, now eight or nine editions of Lonely Planet Japan. I've written a few books solely about Tokyo. They always ask me to do like special projects about Japan now. Um, and then I, I cover a lot of California as well. Uh, and uh, so those are sort of my two beats, and I'm very happy with that. It keeps me very That's busy. That's nice. Yeah. So uh, Germany was like three years? Uh, that I was doing it? Yeah. Oh, you mean to the, the That writing? you were there? Yeah. No, no, nothing like that. It was maybe like three months. Oh, I thought yeah. you were there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I came, I went, and then I came back, and I went again, and I was oh, in, the, okay. in between I'd done, you know, Norway and... Um, in you know a few other places. Again, I'd, I'd never been to Norway before, but boy, that was interesting. Too. I've only been to Oslo. Oh no, Oslo's cool. But I okay, my my Norway, the was, fjords. I've, you went away. North? I, I I flew into Oslo, and do you know that if you were to put a pin in southern Norway, all right, and then let it droop down, it would hit Egypt. That's how big Norway is. 
Really? Yes. Wow. All right. And so what? And so I was at the very far end. I was like practically in Finland. Oh, okay. And I was like, you know, steps from Russia. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was like 40 days and 40 nights above the Arctic Circle. And I was like, wow, you know, it was, it, it was what I imagine like rural Alaska is like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So wait, you were um, living in a town or just traveling? I, was, I, would, I would travel from town to town to town to town. Summer, I hope. On the coast. In summer. <laughs> in summer. Yeah. Okay. So I get there and um, I like arrange a meeting with one a guy from the local tourism board for the day after I arrive. We arrange it for like three in the afternoon. And so I go to sleep. I wake up. And the clock says 3.30, and I'm like, oh, no, I slept right through it because it's bright and sunny. Oh. So I go, I run out to the hotel lobby, like, you know, put on whatever clothes I have. Don't even bother showering, I don't think. And, I, and I'm like, there's nobody in the hotel lobby. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. And all the cars are, like, still there, and I'm like, this is weird. And, and sure enough, it was, you know, 3.30 in the morning yeah. because the sun never goes down above the Arctic Circle in summer. I was like, wow. Yeah. I yeah. worked in Alaska on, on ships, uh, yeah, around June, July, and it messes with your sleep, man. You, uh, oh, if yeah. you don't black out the windows, you're gonna be you're gonna be up. Yeah. I mean, it just changes your 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 mood, your clock, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And w- what did you find about uh, Upper Norway that you recommended and that could tell people if, if yeah. they're thinking about? It? Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that you really want to do in upper in outer Norway is the coast is just so beautiful and you know as long as you can stay along the coast every single day you're going to have something beautiful to see Um, I I got caught in an elk traffic jam once that was cool I there was this. Uh, I, I got to one of these ports, and I was like, there. There was a guy selling burgers. I was like, oh, that looks delicious. And I take a bite of this burger. It doesn't taste like any burger I've ever had before. It was reindeer, whale, whale. Oh, oh yeah. and I was like, you're kidding me. You know, I'm not proud of this fact, but I did eat whale meat in Norway. Yes, and Japan, they serve it. Too right. Yeah, still? yeah, and well, actually, okay. So the Norwegian whale was actually fairly delicious. It was a little silky, which I was not expecting, but it was okay. It wasn't. It wasn't awful. Um, the whale I've had in Japan, I th- I don't know. Maybe it's a function of global warming, and there's less for the whales to eat. But the last time I had it, and this was many years ago now, um, it uh, kind of tasted like I don't know gasoline or something oh. and, you know because there's just so, so much plastics in our environment now and they're probably they're at the top of the food chain and everything's got plastic and it. it was probably a Ugh. case of that so i don't recommend eating well for no. you know both uh moral and health reasons let's yeah. put it that way i have no interest but in japan though you know that uh basically anybody who's in their adulthood now uh grew up eating whale meat in school oh sure yeah and dolphin and dolphin, right? And you know, yeah, all of that. So, well, that's what I usually say. And now that and it, it's changed, now that China has got money, yeah, and the Chinese, yeah. Um, usually, when you hear a story about somebody uh, being hunting something endangered out of the sea, a lot of times it's the Japanese, and mm. then if it's something on land, a lot of times it's the Chinese. That may be. Uh not so familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, once the yeah. Chinese started had this burgeoning middle class, all of a sudden the ivory trade goes up. Mm. You know, these old um, remedies that require, mm-hmm. you know, tiger right. paw and rhino, uh, horn. rhino horn and yeah. things like that yeah, that yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Shark fin. Yep. Shark fin's shark a big fin. one. Oh, it's terrible. Ah, I don't, it's horrible. 
Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's a little downside yes. to that. But getting back to Norway, yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of ships that do the fjords. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you recommend... I mean, I'm not a big crew, even though I make money off them. I'm not, it's not my chosen preferred form of travel. Mm-hmm. But that seems like that's one I would want to do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, they have, you don't have to go expensive either. You have something called the Hurtigruta, which is like the, um, it's this route. It's like the whistle stop for every single place on the Norwegian coast. And it's been going for, I don't know how many decades um, maybe a century. It wouldn't surprise me. The Hurtigruta? Uh, Hurtigruta, yeah. Oh, H-U-R-T-I-G-R-U-T-E-N. very Swedish chef from the Muppets. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hurtigruta. Right, right, right. And it's really cool, though, because you can, I mean, you get right It's a ferry, kind of? It's kind of a ferry, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it just goes up and down the coast. And I don't know, they have a few stops a day, you know, wherever. It is really cool. Did you ever go up there and do the, uh, like, in the winter, the, the Northern Lights and the... Oh, no, that is a dream, North though. Pole kind of stuff? That is a dream, yeah. Me and Santa. <laughs> Santa's Village or something? Yeah. I just saw yes, an article yes. about that. I think it was in the, the AAA magazine. Oh, Somebody really? went up there, but I think it was in Finland, though. Uh, not yeah, Norway. I loved Finland, too. i only been to Helsinki, but... Yeah, I loved that. I thought that was a really neat town. Um, then, you know, so what happens is I go to these kinds of places, then I can write about them for the LA Times. So basically, any... You know, any place that I cover on my own that I go on vacation, for example, I can often just, you know, cover it. Nice. So, yes. Yeah. So what kind of places were you, were you going at that point uh, and well, charging it to the company card? Well, it's, it's the com- <laughs> I am the company card. <laughs> That's by great. The way, because the way that the way that uh, the Times works anyway is they don't allow any sorts of freebies. So basically I can go on vacation, then I can write off my trip. You know, it's the way okay. that it sort of works. So this, it's, they don't want, expense. they're not giving you, you like what bloggers and stuff get is like free hotel rooms and right. trips because it would Which, be biased. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I see people Real are pitching this stuff. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, one of the nicest compliments I'd gotten from an editor was that, you know, um, Andy pushed the journalism and travel journalism. I was like, that's very nice. I'm very happy yeah. to hear that. Um, so I'll go to places like, um, what have I done recently? Well, Finland was quite a while ago now, uh, but um, Krakow in Poland and Warsaw. I love Krakow. Yeah, Warsaw was really interesting. Never been. Um, yeah. And I went to I, Krakow and Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, They're two very different experiences, <laughs> yeah. right? I always tell people Krakow is like, um, it's like Prague, but cheaper and less uh, touristy, but just as pretty, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say uh, absolutely. It's one of the more beautiful cities I've visited in Europe, actually. Um, but the story that I wrote was not about the beautiful inner city. It was kind of like the gritty next to the inner city, mm-hmm. city uh, which I really liked. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Uh, and it was sort of the old Jewish quarter, so you had that history there. And it's now, surprisingly, one of the largest Jewish festivals in the world. I think the largest in Europe that happens in Krakow every year. Oh, okay. Um, and it's where Schindler's factory was and yeah. so on. Yeah. I think I toured it. I think I want to say there was like the there is it shaped like a hand or something. Probably there's a, there's a sign or on the wall that's shaped of a hand with the Jewish quarter or something. Well, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, yeah, it was a while old ago. synagogues and now Israeli restaurants and you know and it's a big student district, so it's always fun. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and you know, with all that entails. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. all that entails. Right. So right. did like uh, when you did you have a certain angle that you would always take when you went to places uh, or still do when you're writing? I mean, you're more of like I know you said you're more food and focused. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I mean, do you review hotels and things like that, or do you really get into that kind of stuff? A, a little bit of everything, but I try to focus on the story that's not being told. Um, so like. In Warsaw, um, you asked about restaurants. Uh, they have these uh, sort of communist-era cafes that are called milk bars. And they're um, really sort of cheap, hearty food. I guess, you know, in this in this country, we'd call them like diners or something. Yeah. Uh, but they're sort of a throwback, and you can have like an entire meal for four bucks. A lot know, of potatoes, very potato-heavy. Lots guessing. of potatoes and soup, but, every, <laughs> yeah. but everything. For, and, and, it, and it's like reasonable, and, and you feel like you've stepped back in time. And so that's what I ended up covering for the LA Times when I did that story. And the whole idea was, you know, you have a milk bar. It's in an interesting neighborhood, so you can go out and explore the neighborhood afterwards. And that was sort of entree to that. Well, okay, go ahead. And then um, one of my uh, favorite destinations that I covered recently was uh, Salzburg in Austria. You ever oh, go there? A long time ago. All right. So you know that the salt mine tours, the salt mines, yes, and all sound of of music, sound of music, and I am I don't know, can I admit this? I am a sound of music geek. Did you you took the tour where they play the music on the bus? I took two tours. (laughs) I took I took the bus tour, and then there was a bike tour that you can do. Okay. And the bike tour was awesome because you basically they give you like you did. Were you ever in the marching band? Yeah. Okay. So, you, know, you remember those little flip folders that have your music yep. on them? They have these flip folders that they mount on the bikes with lyrics from the sound of music, and then they play on a boombox. You, you know the the as uh, if you uh, needed the lyrics, right? And then people sing along as you're <laughs> as you're biking along that little alley where it doesn't sound like the safest thing in you know. the world. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's fine. You're looking yeah. down on your words. Right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and um, anyway, so that was sort of my sort of entree to, uh, to Salzburg, and and so on, and uh, so it was really really cool. <laughs> How long ago was this? This was like three years ago, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So give yeah. me your, if you can think about it, your least favorite assignment that you've ever done. If you had to pick one, did everything just go badly, or uh, mm-hmm. you just didn't like the destination, or least favorite assignment? Wow. Did you ever get? Uh, an assignment where you went and maybe it was a negative opinion and did the did like the times ever go you know what this is a little negative <laughs> maybe mm. we don't want to mm. well diss a location well this wasn't an assignment but i have been on press trips um for other organizations and um and I had to end up saying to the people who organized the press trip, look, you don't want me to write about this. So my experience has not been good. And, you know, it was a, this resort in Mexico where, you know, it, it was just so shot. The, the whole place was shoddily put together and things were falling off of everything. And, oh. you know, the maintenance was terrible. And, and <laughs> I, I was like, no, you don't want me to write about this. So, yeah. Um, but there were others uh, that uh, turned out to be, like, surprisingly awesome. Um, so like, uh, I went on it, this didn't end up resulting in a trip, but I had to go to a convention in, uh, Melbourne, Australia. And at the time Qantas was offering this, what they call Aussie air pass, uh, which is for a thousand dollars plus tax, 
you get your, oh, you get you, you get, get like a certain number of inter yeah you get like three flights within Australia in okay, addition yeah. to your flight from California I remember like, those are you kidding I remember those are you kidding me so I was like why would I not do this and from the very second I got off the plane I was, I was kind of in love and um, <laughs> you know I did Sydney and uh, did you go all the way to Perth I, I did not go to Perth oh, no. yeah, I never had no me. I did Sydney um, uh, Cairns Fort, Port Douglas yeah. uh, Adelaide and Melbourne and I did like the the, the outback in the center. You went to Alice Springs and all that? No, just uh, the South Australian outback. Oh, okay. That was also fantastic. Yeah, I never yeah. did that. I, I mean, I went up the East Coast, but I didn't. It was a really nice drive. It was so, it was, uh, and they have this one valley where you drive in and there are signs that say, this was the landscape from 100,000 years ago. And this was the landscape from 1.5 million years ago. And this is the landscape from, you know, whatever. And so you're really, you're literally yeah. driving into history. Yeah, I describe it with people. It's like as, as crowded as like Japan can be, Australia is completely the opposite. Yeah. This entire continent, yep. there's only like 23 million people in it. Yep. And 80% of them live on the East Coast. There's mm -hmm, like nobody. Mm -hmm, there's nobody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's true. It's so empty. And they it, got to get up close to a kangaroo. You know, you, <laughs> sure. you, you have to learn how to approach a kangaroo. What? Did you oh, really? This? Did you know this? With so boxing gloves? You, well, well, the reason, okay, so the reason kangaroos are always depicted with boxing gloves is that they can't go backwards. And so if you corner a kangaroo, it will rear up and hurt you. Right. Right? So if you're trying to approach a kangaroo, you have to be very sort of gentle about it. So you take five steps, you stop, you let the kangaroo look at you. You take another five steps, you stop in the same, and this, it might take you, you know, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes to get to the kangaroo, but you can get there and it'll be like, you're okay. But if you try to corner a kangaroo, forget it. You, you will die. Because that's the, have you noticed how thick their tails are? You just oh, yeah. roll up, you rear up on the tail and this, and, they, and, and they hit you with those you. giant legs. Yeah. Those rear legs. Yep. Oof. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. No, they're, they're cool. Did you go to the pet a koala as well? I did. I yeah. held koalas. <laughs> kind of stinky, but lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So was there ever one, aside from the whale mm -hmm. and other things, what was the craziest thing you've eaten on a trip? Oh, okay. You're not going to like this. Uh oh, no. Um, Don't say panda or something. No, not panda. Not panda. But um, uh, I was in Korea, and, you know, one of the local delicacies oh. is made with dog. Yeah. Um, and they have these beautiful dogs. And I went to this one market, and uh, they were selling dogs in, the, like, the open market. And I was like, okay. Or I, I sort of turned to my guide, and I was like, pets or meat? Like, well, it could be either. I was like, yeah. no, don't say that. So, uh, but, you know, I'm like, okay, it's in the service of journalism. I got to try this. And they had like dog meat stew. <sighs> um, and if you had told me it was brisket, I'd be like, okay, not my favorite brisket, but, you know, it is a different preparation than I'm used to. Okay, right. fine. I had like one taste of a tiny little. It was like it was like maybe about a square inch of dog meat floating in in the stew, and I kept thinking of Chester, the dog who lived across the street from me. Oh, and then and then you know and then Sheba, our friend's dog, and, <laughs> and Candy, and all these dogs I'd known throughout my life, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I ate the I ate the scallions that were in the stew, and I was like, okay, mm. I'm done. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. I have seen the. Uh, 
I've done a couple of the insects, you know. On, oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. In Thailand and stuff. But if you use stir-fry anything enough, it'll... You right. don't know what you have in right. anymore. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, well, you know, and then, um, uh, so this year, I went to Vietnam for the first time. Um, and the first time, really? Yeah, yeah, but I loved it. I was like, wow, that's it's great, amazing. right? It's it's so cool. I've been there a couple times. And the, uh, I found my favorite food street in the whole entire world. Um, it's called Tahien, uh Beer Street, it's called, in, in. uh in Hanoi. In Hanoi, okay. Yeah, and it's this tiny little street that is, you know, maybe uh, all these all these restaurants. The entire street is restaurants, and I guess it's like two blocks just packed with these little restaurants. And then they all spill out onto the sidewalk, and then the sidewalk spills out into the street. And so you've got a walkway that's maybe about as wide as this chair that I'm <laughs> sitting on where you walk through, and they've got these restaurants on either side. And you just kind of go in and you sit down and you order and you drink beer. And I'm like, this is awesome. I love this. And so I was like, well, what can I order off this menu that's sort of familiar? Because I just didn't know what it was. And yeah, everything was translated into English, but they can only take it so far. And I end up having this chicken with these leaves that kind of look like spinach, but they didn't taste anything like spinach. It was kind of like... Um, Almost like basil? spinach and mint and basil all in one, mm-hmm. and it wasn't basil and it wasn't it wasn't spinach and it wasn't holy basil or any of these things. It wasn't anything you could even look up. <laughs> so we've we've trying to we I, I was sitting there with the ladies next to me who were really gracious and they spoke some English. We tried to get the um, the uh, shopkeeper over and she couldn't really tell us and nobody could figure this out. So it's this mystery leaf. But I'll tell you, it's called mukmut if you ever try it. Mukmut. Mukmut. And I highly recommend chicken with muck mutt okay. before you get to try it. Yes. Well, I mean, if you could compare it to any kind of, is it spinach-like? I mean, in the taste? Yeah, of- it, it kind of like, you ever had like fried spinach leaves? Yeah. Yeah, so it's crunchy like that. Oh, nice. Um, and very, very, very fragrant and intense. I love the food yeah. there. Yeah. And it's cheap. It is. so cheap in Vietnam. It is, it is, it is. So it's uh, Vietnam and... Uh, and Laos also amazing food in both oh, places. So good. And yeah. One of my nicest surprises in Laos was the river weed, which doesn't sound delicious. Um, but it's like seaweed. And then you know how you can sometimes get dried seaweed that's like crunchy and and, mm-hmm. and it's got like all kinds of spices on it. This is like that. But Ooh. it's river weed, it is it's so good. <laughs> Again, goes really well. Okay. Here. Yeah. All those years you were in Japan, you never toured like you never went up to Vietnam or Laos or Thailand much? Um, I'd been to Thailand. I'd been to Burma, as it was called then. Myanmar. Um, Myanmar now. Uh, I want to go. Hong I haven't Kong, never been. Yeah. Oh, it was very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. At the time I was there. Get in um, now, I think. It probably is. Although it, it was not easy when I was there either. Because um, at the time you had to have a visa that was for good for exactly one week. Mm. And um, basically you had to just sort of do all your touring within a week and then you had to leave and they had to um, uh, you had to fill out these currency exchange forms also the official currency rate was I think six of the local currency to the dollar and uh, but even in the airport there was like a black market happening where you could buy your Johnny Walker red and your cigarettes sure, and your yeah. whatever outside bring it in and the exchange rate on those would be like 40 to the dollar <laughs> And so that's how a lot of people would finance their trips. And then so they made you fill out these currency exchange forms. And in the end, you were supposed to, uh, uh, you know, uh, turn them in um, to the customs inspector. The customs inspector looks at me and says, sir, you bought too much. 
your currency exchange form doesn't show how you got all this money. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> don't really know what to say to that. Um, and then he says, well, if you, but if you could spare me something. Oh, here we go. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Meanwhile, there was an Italian com- a couple who had we'd, we'd been sort of tracking as we went all around the country, my friends and I. And apparently, not unbeknownst to us, they had overstayed their visa by one day. And we saw them. Get, we saw the husband getting dragged away. The wife goes into hysterics. Oh no! Yeah, and what's going on? And I'm like, I better cough up something for this dude, you know? And yeah. Fortunately, I had had some spare money. You had a twenty somewhere. You always got a twenty somewhere. Yeah, in my <laughs> I, in my sunglass case, by the way, in case you're wondering, you know, in case you need money from me at some point. Um, and he was like, okay, well, I don't really know how much this is because it was like Hong Kong dollars or something. But he. Uh, he took it and was able to leave the country and was very rattled, but I made it work. Yeah. So all these uh, trips now, so from the the LA Times, you're not, are you still writing for them? Or yes. You still mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever like go off, ever think or try to like do a, your own site online and be that guy and... and uh, well, you know... Go full independent? Uh, um, I, I, I do freelance with everything I do. Uh, yeah. So I am my own guy, and I do have my own site, wheresandynow.com. Uh, but um, in, in terms of being like the travel guru, I have uh, a lot of stuff going on, and that's a full-time job. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I have, you're employed, which is nice. Right. Well, I have that. And then, you know, sort of based on my um, business background, I also do consulting work on, on different cultures. So uh, I, a lot of my work is like Japanese cultures, and I get um, Americans and Japanese to understand each other. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, we understand each other better. Yeah. Um, so. What now? What is the biggest problem people have in, in working with the Japanese, and what is the toughest thing for like American business people and tourists? By the way, mm. so yeah, I loved. This is what I loved about going over there. One, the toilets. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, they're the best. The heated seats and the sprays and the fans and the ugh. Then you come back and you see your sad little toilet. And you're like, oh, we are. It's true. We're like cavemen. It's true. I might it's as true. well be going in a litter box. <laughs> uh, so that was that's one thing I like. I love the fact that, um, in a way, I mean, guess people follow the rules. There is like a that saving face of you know the if if everybody went on their own, you know, rules. In Tokyo, it would be chaos, you know, mm-hmm, with all those people mm-hmm. stacked. Exactly. On top. You exactly. could go outside on the sidewalk, and there's a, a painted-on box on the sidewalk that says that's the smoking area, and everybody stands in mm-hmm. that smoking area, yep. and they put your cigarette butts here, and they put them in there, yep. and that's how it functions. Yep. And yep. it's like, yep. oh, thank yep. Everybody's, you know, on this escalator, stand to the one side, yep. and everybody does it. Yep. If you want to start a stampede in Tokyo, jaywalk. <laughs> Everybody will follow you because they think, well, somebody else is doing it. I can go when the light is still right. red. Because everybody is such rule followers that nobody would think of breaking the rules. So, but that's true. I think the biggest thing, though, is just really communication. Like, you know, um, there's a Japanese saying, um, hear one, understand ten. Have you heard this one? No. In other words, so if I tell you one aspect of the situation, you're supposed to know me well enough that... Um, you know what I'm thinking. There's also an expression, you should be able to figure it out just by looking at my face. 
Hmm. So you should be able to, you know, to sort of read my body language and expressions know well. So that's the way Japanese tend to communicate amongst themselves, and they may not realize that the American communication style is different. So they'll say things like, mm, yes, I think that would be difficult. And Americans will hear like, okay, yeah, well, we'll work it out, no worries. When they, when they mean to say no, just drop it right yeah. now, you know? <laughs> and Japanese will know that means no, but Americans will hear something different. Uh, and, uh, or... Uh, by contrast, you know, Americans, you sort of feel like you need all the information that comes from the speakers. And for Japanese, this is really tiresome. So, um, and sometimes like Japanese, excuse me, Americans will overwhelm Japanese with the volume and uh, both like tone talking, and also the amount too much of talking, the amount of talking. And then also the literally tone of your voice. It's mm. just sometimes too much. Right. And, uh, so those kinds of things are really interesting. You have to really sort of learn to tone it down when you go to Japan. And the other thing is that getting angry gets you absolutely nowhere over there. I did find that out. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help. Um, it, 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 if anything, people will sort of shut down and that's a, that's a nice thing. I found that also in Thailand, um, especially. Yeah. Yeah, in China and Korea though, people get angry. Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> yes they do. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, what did I do when I was? I went to a uh, went to a baseball game. Yeah, I went to the Yakult Swallows nice. in Tokyo. That nice. was fun. Nice. Uh, I didn't go to sumo. I wanted to see that. Um, I just I ate everything. You know where mm-hmm. I had a lot of lunches in Tokyo was Seven uh, Eleven. Yeah. I would go there. There's sushi. I would get sushi oh, for Japanese lunch. Japanese convenience stores are a thing of wonder. Oh, and those little, was that omisubi? The, yeah. Onigiri, they're called. And yeah. Yeah, those omisubi, little sandwiches. Same like, thing. Yeah, little like rice little, balls. Little kind of. rice balls, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I love those. Yep. It's a place here on Main Street that does It's them. fantastic. Yeah, sunny blue. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they make them fresh right there. Give us another tip for people who want to go to Japan that maybe, you know, from an insider. What can, you know. Mm. Mm. Plan. Plan. Get, get your stuff, get your hotels and, you know, really sort of make sure that you're mindful of calendars. I have people who come to me, you know, they ask me to plan their visits to Japan for them. Um, and they'll say, well, we got, uh, the only time we could go was New Year's. I'm like, well, dude, New Year's is when the entire country shuts down, <laughs> right? you know, and there's going to be like no restaurants open. There's going to be, you know, uh, all the museums will shut down, um, you know, and then people are in transit that whole time. So you're going to be, you know, yeah. like all the like buses, the trains and planes are going to be crowded. Yeah. And expensive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, think of the calendar and plan. Um, and uh, it's a country that really thrives on, you know, you making a plan. And the other thing I will say is if you make a plan, it's not, it, not the kind of country where people will admire you if you change it, you know? <laughs> uh, so, uh, but that said, People really go out of their way to be gracious. They try, they go out of their way to sort of make you feel welcome and try to get you the foods that you want and the the try to they try to make it a good experience for you. The other thing I would say is try to get out of the big cities uh, because you mentioned that it's been what a dozen years since yeah. you went to Kyoto. I, I, it pains me to say this, but um, Kyoto is wonderful as it is. It's getting overrun. Um, and it's not like Tokyo, which is a giant city of 12 million people that you can, that can absorb a larger number of tourists, um, which is going to have to do for the Olympics this sure, coming year, yeah. right? Um, but Kyoto is a much smaller city. It's a tenth the size in population. And um, 
it uh, and it's gotten so overwhelmed with um, tourists from all over the world. Who Is it the Chinese now? A lot of Chinese, yeah. but a lot of not, a lot of other uh, Asian countries too, which don't which now have the money to do it, which they didn't have, you know, yeah, 50, even fifteen now they're years changing, ago. Uh, the Chinese again. There's another thing with they getting money now that they can travel. Yes, and they go in big bus loads. Right, and they only speak Chinese. Right, and so it's uh, it changes the face of. Um, it, in one way, it can be very lucrative for people, but you know, if you know, it can be hard. Right, and they're still learning how to behave in a lot of ways as right. well. Right, well, th- which is why you know I, I think that it's really good. You should go to Kyoto, and you should, and if you're doing that. Uh, you know, go and see some of the big attractions first thing in the morning. Like the, if you don't do it, you're going to find yourself, you know, just surrounded by people. So like uh, along the Philosopher's Walk or, you know, some of the very famous temples with the rock gardens and whatnot, get there early and you'll be okay. Um, And then, you know, go do something else for the day. Go out to eat or go shopping. There's fabulous shopping in Kyoto. Uh, But really... Uh, another way to sort of experience Japan the way it was sort of meant to be seen is to get yourself into the outer regions. And fortunately, the Japanese government and the different regions are trying to push that now, too. Right. Uh, so they're trying to make it easier and easier to do it. What are some of the hidden gems like out uh, that people don't know? Yeah. Well, um, so I, uh, I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I do lead tours also in Japan these days. Uh, and... Um, uh, we try to go to sort of outlying districts. Uh, right. So uh, we do... Prefectures? Uh, out, out, yes, prefectures. I love that, I love that yeah. word, yeah, prefecture. Yeah, yeah. yeah prefecture is kind of like halfway between a state and a county. Like a county, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and uh, so uh, I do a Cuisine and Culture of Japan tour, um, which goes to... Starts in Tokyo, and we do like the, the big things that you have to do, like the fish markets, and uh, yeah. and you know we go to some of the great the great restaurants, and you know Tokyo has more Michelin stars than any place on earth, which is quite amazing. And then we go to sort of outer regions, so we'll go to the city of Kanazawa, uh, which is on the seacoast of Japan. Um, it's a beautiful historic city, like Kyoto. It was left alone during the war, so they have. A lot of the old buildings, there's an old geisha district, there's an old samurai district, there's an old temple town, uh, which are still very much intact and really beautiful. Uh, and then uh, and we you know, go and we sample some of the great foods there. Um, they're known for fresh seafood being on the coast and all that. And then while we'll base ourselves in Kyoto, we do like day trips from there too. So we'll go to farming villages out in the countryside and... Um, we uh, we spend some time in Osaka, which has not gotten a lot of tourist love from the West, uh, but it's a really interesting city. Again, I think my uh, train went through there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, exactly. I the bullet train. Yeah. Right, and and you know people tend not to stop there, which is too bad uh, because uh, the, in terms of food scene, anyway, it's fantastic. There's a blocks and blocks long market called Kuromon Market, and then there's another street there that's called uh, the Dogayasuji Arcade, where. Uh, they sell every kind of kitchen supply you could possibly want. <laughs> I mean, uh, Western food, Japanese food, you know, you can outfit your entire kitchen with dishes and whatnot. It's it's pretty amazing. And then we go to Kobe, which, you know, again, it, you'd think as famous as it is for food would get a lot more foreign visitors, but it really hasn't. Hmm. Uh, so um, it's, a, it's a really neat uh, way to go and see the country. So for an independent traveler, mm-hmm. oh, first of all, give the name of your site where, again, where people can sign up for a tour. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, it's run through Esprit Travel. 
Um, and espritravel.com. E-S-P-R-I-T. Uh-huh. Yep. And it's the uh, Cuisine and Culture of Japan Tour. And uh, the next one will be uh, May 9th to 22nd in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Um, how many people usually take on these? Uh, we have a limit of 15, so it's a nice small group. Okay. And people get to really know each other and look after each other, and it really makes it fun for me, too. What type? What time of year? I always tell people go in the shoulder seasons, like spring and autumn, usually. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was in Tokyo in the dead of summer, mm-hmm. and uh, it was hot. Yeah. It was, you know, when you do a lot of walking, and it was humid, and it was... Yeah. But I tell people that. I, say, I tell them not to go to... New York in August too. It's the same right. thing, and you know, that right. concrete starts to yeah close it on you. Yeah, it's when a it gets very similar. Uh, Tokyo has a very similar climate to like I don't know DC or the Carolinas. Yeah, you know, sort of the mid upper South, I guess you'd say. But the winter can get cold too. The winter can get cold, yeah, and they do get snow, um, and uh, so uh, you'll see. But in the winter, you know, the air tends to be very clear. Um, so even from the middle of Tokyo, you can see Mount Fuji. It's pretty amazing, yeah. actually. Yeah. So did um, do what is the trick you use to get from Narita Airport into town? I always tell people there's a there's buses. Get yes. on the bus. Yeah, they have but the don't take a cab because it's like a hundred dollars. Oh, no, 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 don't take a cab. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, so it, the 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 trick historically has been these limousine buses that go to hotels. But you got to also realize that some of the uh, hotels are like some of the buses go to like a dozen hotels. I think that may be literally the case. It's a lot of stuff. If, if not, if it's not, it doesn't. It feels like it, and so you may. It may take you an hour to get from the airport into the city on the bus, but it might take you another hour to get around the city after all the different stops. So another option um, is to just think about where you are, and there's what's called the Narita Express train uh, that uh, takes you into the city, uh, and just to a certain neighborhood. The hubs, yeah. If you're near one of the hubs, and there's like five different stations where it stops, so you're bound to be close to something, then take a taxi from there. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. Um, and then the other way, of course, is that there's the other ho- the other airport, uh, which the last time you were in Japan, I guess, didn't uh, exist for international travel. It was the Haneda? Uh, Haneda Airport, right. Is it closer to the city? It's much closer. Okay. You, c- you can get there by monorail. Um, in about 18 minutes. Ooh. And uh, then from there, you know, you can get on the subway or whatever. And then the other trick that nobody knows about Japan. Ooh, hot secret here. That is that Travel Tales exclusive here, folks. Right. They have this amazing sh- luggage shipment system where you can take your, you know, large luggage and ship it from, you know, Tokyo to Kyoto or wherever overnight. And it costs about 20 bucks. And, um, you know, Japanese trains... The, the bullet train, whatever, don't have a lot of luggage storage space. Uh, and uh, your large luggage will not fit. There's just no way. Uh, so um, you're saving yourself a lot of grief. Also, you're saving yourself taxi fare because you can get you know to the train station by subway. Uh, and um, So you just you get off the plane, you get your, you get your luggage, and yep. then you go to this place, and then you tell them where your hotel is, and they'll bring it? Yep. Overnight. Overnight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much does that cost? It's like 20 bucks. That's not bad. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And not only that, you can do it from your hotel. So you can ship from like one hotel to the next hotel. And all you have to do is carry like a little backpack or whatever with your change of clothes for the night. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Has Uber made inroads into Japan? <gasps> Uber is in Japan. I oh. have not used it, but wow. I understand it's very nice. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, taxis, are, for what my needs are, are so plentiful. 
Right. Um, and usually uh, when I'm in Japan, I'm traveling with the group and it's hard to order a fleet of Ubers, but you can order a fleet of taxis, no problem. I do remember having those lost in translation moments because I did go solo. Uh-huh. And it was, I found it a little harder to be solo there. It just yeah. was like, it's a very American thing. To, I don't do this anyway, even in America, walk up to a stranger in a bar or something. So, oh, hi, where are you from? Nobody right. does that. Right. <laughs> so everybody right. kind of stays in their own. And the other... Uh, frustrating thing I found was, you know, and this is on me because I don't know Japanese, but the the Japanese learn English in school, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of them forget it after they, they're out of school at 80, 18, you know, after yeah. they pass the test. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even though if they know it, they're always apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry, my English is not good. It's like, no, please. Right, <laughs> it's right, fine. Right, right, <laughs> it's just right, fine. Right. But they're embarrassed that they're not more fluent and just like, you got to, no, please. Yeah, Talk the, to me. The one thing that I still find in Japan is people, you know, if I'm standing there on the street looking at a map, for example, inevitably somebody will come up to me and do you need help? You know, are you sure where you're going? And then they'll walk you there. It's like amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm like, really? You know, so it still happens. Yeah. And it's that kind of a country. Like I said, people really go out of their way literally to be hospitable. Well, the hard thing uh, what, also to get used to is like everything – like restaurants and and retail is usually always in in big buildings, yes, on the ground floor in America. Right. Whereas in Japan, that restaurant you're looking for, you might look at the building and then you're looking on the ground floor. It's like, no, it's not here. That restaurant might be on the eighth floor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> or, totally, or that bookstore or that record store yes. is like in the fourth. And you have it looks like an office building, and it is. Yes. But then there's a restaurant and the in the middle yes. of it. Not on the top floor, not on the bottom. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was harder to get used to. And then one of the other fun things about it, and you know, something this will simplify people's lives. So you go to department stores, they always have a food floor. And the food floor is usually on the basement, one of the basement levels. And yeah. you can go and you can find like any kind of you know really fancy foods you want. But they also sell like you know, nice bentos um, or you know gift items that you can bring home or whatever. And then often there's also a restaurant floor on the top. So you can have your choice of, you know, eight restaurants or whatever. Um, and what makes it really easy in Japan is that they usually have like plastic models of the food yeah. in the windows. And so that's an art form in itself. I mean, they're yeah. amazingly lifelike. Oh, it is. It is. There's a whole town where they make these. And actually in Tokyo, there's a section of the city. It's called uh, Kapabashi, which is known as the restaurant supply district. And you can go and do a workshop where you make your own. So I, made, like, I make my own lettuce. It's like delicious. <laughs> and I made my own tempura shrimp and all kinds of things. It was really cool. Of course, it wasn't very delicious, but right. that's okay. Um, so, yeah, so you have these models in the window, and, um, uh, and uh, you know, so that, that tell, you just go and point. You know, you take the surfer outside, and I want that, you know? Um, <laughs> but it was funny. So my very, 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 very first night in Japan, I was uh, 21 years old. Uh, and uh, i like, well, I got to go out to dinner somewhere, so... I go to this restaurant and I see the plastic food models in the window and it's like udon noodles and it looks delicious. And I go inside and everybody yells at me, I'm like, oh, they're closed. And I walk right back out. And and what they're saying is welcome. And so uh, I'm like, and so the, the shopkeeper, she goes outside and she's like, no, 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 come in, come in, come in. And I had no idea what I was doing. And so I go and point to the noodles and they were delicious. And, and, um, then everything was hunky dory, but I was like, okay, first false, first cultural faux pas, you know. And I haven't even been here six <laughs> they're hours. They're yelling at me, and already they're yelling at me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like, oh no, this sucks. So. 
Did you ever find, um, and this is a little off, I don't know, the, the Japanese, I mean, there's a stereotype of them amongst the other Asian cultures mm-hmm. that maybe they're a little, they kind of look down on maybe the other, like discriminate a little mm. maybe towards other do you find a lot of? I I think I mean, they took a lot of heat after the war. I mean, sure. you gotta, I mean, there's there's sure. a lot to be answered there. Yes, there <laughs> there is. And one of the things you know, we talked about Germany earlier. One of the big differences between Germany and Japan is that the Germans are generally acknowledged to have sort of taken responsibility for what happened. I give the them war. credit for that. You know, right. they said this happened. We're not going to sweep it under the rug and and. Unlike a lot of the countries, and right, I guess right, Japan right. kind of like and, tries and, to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, well, and and I think you know uh, this is not an excuse, but I think there's an explanation for that. Um, in that, you know, you think about it. Number one, uh, uh, one of the things I talk about in my culture classes is that uh, it's not a country that encourages bad news, and you want to try to keep you know things negative, keep negative things out of. Um, of sort of everyday conversation. Another th- big factor here is I think it's a lot of people's like parents and grandparents who fought in the war, and we don't want to dishonor our elders by talking about th- bad things that might have happened. Right. Um, and so what happened? And then there's this whole idea also of you know people are uh, th- like I mentioned earlier. Here one understand ten. It's not a society that spells everything out and that never where every last thing needs to be communicated. And you add you add all those together, and um, you know the a lot of other people think of Jap- Japanese as maybe haughty um, or uh, stuck up, mm-hmm. and and that's not a good look when you're trying to sort of make peace with your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they don't see it as that; they see it as just sort of everyday style of communication. And uh, I think in the most subtle and frustrating of ways, it, it's it's uh, it becomes sort of a, a point of contention uh, where it might just be a miscommunication on some level. Mm-hmm. I think there is also, you know, on a government level, uh, there's probably more that uh, the Japanese government could do to sort of make amends with uh, neighbors from World War II. Right. But I think that's a different issue. Sometimes apologies go a long way. I think they do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, well, we, we got to wrap this up, but um, okay. uh, where are your next trips and where have you gone or where have you not gone that you've always wanted to go? Mm. What's on your, I hate the term bucket list, but I'm going to yeah. use it. Well, my my very next trip is to Palm Springs. I have a little place out there. Oh, and well, that's nice. It makes me happy. It's, it's a nice little getaway. <laughs> you go there for Christmas? Uh, I'll be there around Christmas, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I have, uh, after that, I have consulting work in Atlanta. And then I have another trip that I'm doing to... Um, Vietnam in Laos uh, in February. It's another tour that I'm going to be uh, putting together over there. That's great. Have you picked up those languages? Uh, No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. But I I have um, some local uh, guides that we're going to be working with over there, and they're real acknowledged experts and all this stuff. So we're going to be doing market visits and food tours and a cruise and up and down the bay and around rivers and things like that. It's going to be really nice. Go to Luang Prabang? Yes, we are. Oh, yes, I love we are. that place. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it was so great. Yeah, and it was just put on one of the hot lists by one of the magazines as places yeah. you should visit in 2020, so we're it's been found right out. on point. It's been found out. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. worry about that place like that getting overrun, you I, know? I know, right? Well, fortunately, they don't have very many hotels, so hopefully <laughs> yeah. Stay that way. Yeah, that was nice. So where do you want to go? Where do I want to go? Oh, boy, where don't I want to go? 
there are so many places. I, I really need to go on an African safari. Need is maybe too strong a word, but it's a very strong desire. I'd love to do that. Uh, someplace I haven't been. I've only been to one tiny corner of Africa, which oh. was Marrakesh, and I loved it. But, I still haven't uh, been to Morocco. Oh, Morocco is really. But I was cool. in Uganda and Rwanda this summer oh, doing my. the gorilla trek. Oh, cool! Yeah, wow! I recommend it highly. Really, you would love it. Wow. And there's so many other places I want to go. I'd love to go to see the Egyptian pyramids. Um, I would love to go. Uh, I hear Sri Lanka is really lovely. Um, I've never been. Sounds great. Um, and yeah, gosh, uh, I'd love to see the Northern Lights in Canada. You know, things like that. <laughs> so uh, okay, one more. We'll get your plugs in. Yeah. One more time. Give everybody your websites and like uh, not only to read your stuff and the tours. Sure. So if you want to uh, find out more about my writing, go to wheresandynow.com. Uh, and there you'll find summaries of all the different articles I've written. You'll find a lot of more bio biographical information about me uh, and also a summary of the tours. And the tours are offered through Esprit Travel, uh, which is esprittravel.com. All right. And you're on Instagram and... Uh, yes, Instagram, Twitter, all Where's Andy Now. Very Where's easy. Andy Now on all those. That's easy. And finally, what do you, what do you think all this travel and all the places you've been, how has it changed you as a person and maybe like how the way you look at the world? Mm, I think, um, I think Mark Twain said it best. Do you know that quote from him? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fatal I'm to prejudice. It. and Yeah. Fa travel is fatal to prejudice and closed mindedness or something mm -hmm. like that. And I really like to think that it's opened my mind up. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially having lived in, lived in, worked in Japan and been surrounded by Japanese people, you know, even when I was working in L.A. after I'd moved here. I really think that if everybody had the opportunity of living and or working in a different culture, for even if it was just a year, uh, so much of uh, what we know, of the strife that we experience in society where people don't understand each other, a lot of that would go away. And you can realize, hey, you know, it is completely possible to do things in a different way, and it would still be okay. <laughs> right. You know? That's great. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for doing this. You're I know so you're, you're a thank tough you guy to try to me. pin down in one place, <laughs> even though we live like two blocks away from each other. <laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to yeah, do it. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. Thank That's you. Andrew Bender, everyone. Thank you.